Welcome everyone to Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard and her daughter Gypsy. The daughter has been in the news recently, having just been released from prison, and there's been a lot of mixed feelings about her release. This case flew under my radar until just recently, so I figured that now would be a good time to talk about it. So let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. On June 14, 2015, sheriff's deputies in Greene County, Missouri, found the body of Claudine Dee Dee Blanchard face down in the bedroom of her house just outside of Springfield, lying on the bed in a pool of blood from stab wounds inflicted several days earlier. There was no sign of her daughter, Gypsy Rose, who, according to Blanchard, had chronic conditions including leukemia, asthma, and muscular dystrophy, and who had the, quote, mental capacity of a seven-year-old due to brain damage as a result of premature birth. After reading troubling Facebook posts earlier in the evening, concerned neighbors notified the police reporting that Dee Dee might have fallen victim to foul play and that Gypsy Rose, whose wheelchair and medications were still in the house, might have been abducted. The next day, the police found Gypsy Rose in Wisconsin, where she had traveled with her boyfriend, Nicholas Goodjohn, whom she had met online. When the investigators announced that she was actually an adult and did not have any of the physical and mental health issues that her mother claimed she had, public outrage over the possible abduction of a disabled girl gave way to shock and some sympathy for Gypsy. Further investigation found that some of the doctors who had examined Gypsy Rose had found no evidence of the claimed disorders. One physician suspected that Dee Dee had facetious disorder imposed on another, a mental disorder in which a parent or other caretaker exaggerates, fabricates, or induces illness in a person under their care to obtain sympathy or attention. Dee Dee had changed her name after her family, who suspected she had poisoned her stepmother, confronted her about how she treated Gypsy Rose. Nonetheless, many people accepted her situation as true, and the two benefited 
from the efforts of charities such as Children's Mercy Hospital, Habitat for Humanity, the Ronald McDonald House, and the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Dee Dee had been making her daughter pass herself off as younger and pretend to be disabled and chronically ill, subjecting her to unnecessary surgery and medication and controlling her through physical and psychological abuse. Mark Feldman, an international expert on facetious disorders, said that this was the first case he knew of in which an abused child killed an abusive parent. Gypsy Rose pled guilty to second-degree murder and served eight years of a 10-year sentence. She was granted parole in September 2023 and was released from prison on December 28, 2023. After a brief trial in November 2018, Nicholas was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Dee Dee Blanchard was born Claudine Petrie in Chack Bay, Louisiana, near the Gulf Coast in 1967, and grew up with her family in nearby Golden Meadow. She was one of five children of Claude Anthony Petrie Sr. and Emma Lewis Gisclair. Relatives recalled that she had a habit of stealing from her family, which they speculated was a form of retaliation for when things didn't go her way. At some point early in her adult life, she worked as a nurse's aide. The family expressed suspicion that in 1997, she might have killed her own mother by denying her food. When she was 24, she became pregnant by Rod Blanchard, then 17. They named their daughter Gypsy Rose because Dee Dee liked the name Gypsy and Rod was a fan of Guns N' Roses. Shortly before Gypsy Rose's birth in July of 91, the couple separated when Rod realized that he got married for the wrong reasons. He resisted Dee Dee's efforts to get him to return and she took her newborn daughter to live with her family. According to Rod, who remained involved with his daughter at this point, by the time Gypsy was three months old, her mother was convinced that the infant had sleep apnea and began taking her to the hospital, where repeated overnight stays with a sleep monitor and other tests found no sign of the condition. Dee Dee subsequently became convinced that Gypsy had a wide range of health issues, which she attributed to an unspecified chromosomal, chromosomal disorder. At some point, her mother claimed that Gypsy had muscular dystrophy and made her use a walker. Gypsy said that when she was seven or eight, she was riding on her grandfather's motorcycle when they were involved in a minor accident where she obtained an abrasion on her knee. Her mother said that doctors had given her a wheelchair that she would need to use. Gypsy often went with her parents to Special Olympics events. In 2001, when Dee Dee claimed Gypsy was eight, she was actually 10. She was named the honorary queen of the Crew of Mid-City, a child-oriented parade held during Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Gypsy seems to have stopped going to school after second grade, possibly even as early as kindergarten. Her mother homes homeschooled her after that, 
supposedly because her illnesses were so severe. This was later believed to have been an attempt to isolate Gypsy to further her abuse. Gypsy managed to learn and read on her own through the Harry Potter books. Gypsy's father had remarried and Dee Dee moved in with her father and stepmother. They later said that when preparing food for her stepmother, Dee Dee poisoned it with Roundup Weed Killer, leading to the stepmother's chronic illness during this period. During that time, Dee Dee was arrested for several minor offenses, including writing bad checks. When the Petries began to regularly confront her about her treatment of Gypsy and express suspicion about her role in her stepmother's health, Dee Dee left with Gypsy for the New Orleans suburb of Slidell. Her stepmother's health soon returned to normal after their departure. In Slidell, she and Gypsy lived in public housing. They paid their bills with Rod's child support payments and public assistance that Dee Dee had been granted due to her daughter's supposed medical conditions. They saw various specialists, mostly at Tulane Medical Center and the Children's Hospital of New Orleans, seeking treatment for the illnesses Dee Dee claimed Gypsy had, which now included hearing and vision problems. While a muscle biopsy found no sign of the muscular dystrophy Dee Dee insisted that Gypsy had, she was successful in securing treatment for Gypsy's other purported issues. After she told doctors Gypsy had seizures every few months, they prescribed anti-seizure medication. Several surgeries were performed on, on her during this time, and Dee Dee regularly took Gypsy to the emergency room for any minor ailment. After Hurricane Katrina devastated the area in August of 2005, Dee Dee and Gypsy left their ruined apartment for a shelter in Covington set up for people with special needs. Dee Dee said Gypsy's medical records, including her birth certificate, had been destroyed in the flooding. A doctor there from the Ozarks suggested that they relocate to her native Missouri, and the next month they were airlifted there. At first, Dee Dee and Gypsy lived in a rented home in Aurora in southwestern Missouri. During their time there, Gypsy was honored by the Olay Foundation, which advocates for the rights of feeding tube recipients, as its 2007 Child of the Year. In 2008, Habitat for Humanity built them a small home with a wheelchair ramp and hot tub as part of a larger project on the north side of Springfield to the east, and the two moved there. The story of a single mother with a severely disabled daughter forced to flee Katrina's devastation received considerable local media attention, and the community often pitched in to help the woman who now went by Claudina Blanchard, and whom they knew as Dee Dee. The outpouring of support included many charitable contributions in Louisiana. Mother and daughter had at most availed themselves of occasional stays in Ronald McDonald houses during medical appointments. In Missouri, they received free flights to see doctors at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City, free trips to Walt Disney World, and backstage passes to Miranda Lambert concerts, where she was frequently photographed with Lambert via the Make-A-Wish Foundation. 
Rod Blanchard also continued to make monthly child support payments of $1,200, as well as sending Gypsy gifts and occasionally talking to her on the phone. During one call on her 18th birthday, he recalls Dee Dee telling him not to mention her daughter's real age, since she thinks she's 14. Rod and his second wife hoped to get to Springfield and visit, but for a variety of reasons, Dee Dee changed the plans. She told her neighbors in Springfield that Gypsy Rose's father was an abusive drug addict and alcoholic who had never come to terms with his daughter's health issues and never sent them any money. Many people who met Gypsy were charmed by her. Her five-foot height, nearly toothless mouth, large glasses, and high, childlike voice reinforced the perception that she had all the problems her mother claimed that she did. Dee Dee regularly shaved Gypsy's head to mimic the hairless appearance of a chemotherapy patient, allegedly telling Gypsy that since her medication would eventually cause her hair to fall out, it was best to shave it in advance. Gypsy often wore wigs or hats to cover her baldness. When they left the house, Dee Dee often took an oxygen tank and feeding tube with them. Gypsy was fed the children's liquid nutrition supplement Pediasure well into her 20s. Dee Dee would also use physical abuse to control Gypsy, always holding her hand in the presence of others. When Gypsy said something that suggested that she was not genuinely sick or seemed beyond her purported mental capacity, Gypsy recalls that her mother would squeeze her hand very tightly. When the two were alone, Dee Dee struck her with open hands or a coat hanger. Medical interventions continued. Dee Dee had some of Gypsy's saliva glands treated with Botox, then extracted altogether to control her purported drooling. Gypsy later claimed her mother induced drooling by using a topical anesthetic to numb her gums before doctor visits. The lack of salivary glands, coupled with side effects of the anti-seizure medication she was given, caused Gypsy's already few teeth to decay to the point that the majority of her front teeth were extracted and replaced by a bridge. Tubes were implanted in her ears to control her myriad purported ear infections. Bernando Flasterstein, a pediatric neurologist who saw Gypsy in Springfield, became suspicious of her muscular dystrophy diagnosis. He ordered MRIs and blood tests, which found no abnormalities. I don't see any reason why she doesn't walk, he told Dee Dee on a follow-up visit after seeing Gypsy stand and support her own weight. The doctor noted that Dee Dee was not a good historian. After contacting Gypsy's doctors in New Orleans, he learned that Gypsy's original muscle biopsy had come back negative, undermining Dee Dee's reported diagnosis of muscular dystrophy, as well as her claim that all of Gypsy's records had been destroyed by the flooding. He suspected the possibility of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Dee Dee contrived to gain access to Flasterstein's notes and subsequently stopped taking Gypsy to see him. Flasterstein did not follow up by reporting Dee Dee to social services. He said other doctors had told him to treat the pair with golden gloves and doubted the authorities would believe him anyway.
In 2009, an anonymous caller told the police about Dee Dee's use of different names and birth dates for herself and her daughter, and suggested Gypsy was in better health than claimed. Officers who performed the resulting wellness check accepted Dee Dee's explanation that she used the misinformation to make it harder for her abusive ex-husband to find her and Gypsy without talking to Rod and reported that Gypsy seemed genuinely mentally disabled and the file was closed. Dee Dee seems to have at least once forged a copy of Gypsy's birth certificate, changing her birth date to 1995 to bolster claims that she was still a teenager. Gypsy said in a later interview that for 14 years she was not sure of her real age. She sometimes also claimed that the original had been destroyed during the post-Katrina flooding. Dee Dee did keep another copy with Gypsy's real birth date. Gypsy recalls seeing it during one of their hospital visits and becoming confused. Dee Dee told her that it was a misprint. Since 2001, Gypsy had attended science fiction and fantasy conventions, sometimes in costume since she could blend into their diverse and inclusive communities in her wheelchair. At a 2011 event, she made what may have been an escape attempt that ended when her mother found her in a hotel room with a man she had met online. Again, Dee Dee produced the paperwork giving Gypsy's false younger birth date and threatened to inform the police. Gypsy recalls that afterward, Dee Dee smashed her computer with a hammer and threatened to do the same to her fingers if she ever tried to escape again. She also kept Gypsy leashed and handcuffed to her bed for two weeks. Dee Dee later told Gypsy that she had filed paperwork with the police claiming that Gypsy was mentally incompetent, leading Gypsy to believe that she, if, if she attempted to go to the police for help, they would not believe her. Sometime around 2012, Gypsy, who continued to use the internet after her mother had gone to bed to avoid her tightened supervision, made contact online with Nicholas Goodjohn, a man around her age from Big Bend, Wisconsin, whom she said she had met on a Christian singles website. Nicholas has a criminal record for indecent exposure and a history of mental illness, sometimes reported as dissociative identity disorder. He also has autism spectrum disorder. In 2014, Gypsy confided to 23-year-old neighbor Aaliyah Woodmancy, I butchered that name, I apologize, who, unaware that Gypsy was closer to her own age, considered herself to be a, quote, big sister that she and Nicholas had discussed eloping and had even chosen names for potential children. Gypsy, who had five separate Facebook accounts, and Nicholas flirted online, their exchanges sometimes using BDSM elements, which Gypsy had since claimed was more what he was interested in. The neighbor tried to talk her out of it, still thinking that Gypsy was too young and possibly being taken advantage of by a sexual predator. She considered Gypsy's plans just fantasies and dreams, and nothing like this would ever really take place. Despite Dee Dee's efforts to prevent her from using the internet, 
which went as far as destroying her daughter's phone and laptop. Gypsy maintained contact with her neighbor, who saved printouts of her posts until 2014. The next year, Gypsy arranged and also paid for Nicholas to meet her mother in Springfield. Her plan was for him to just casually bump into her while she and Dee Dee were at a movie theater, both of them in costume, and apparently strike up a relationship that way, and then later for her to introduce him to her mother. As soon as they did meet in person for the first time, Nicholas says, Gypsy led him to the bathroom where the two had sex. The two continued their internet interactions and began developing their plan to kill Dee Dee. Nicholas returned to Springfield in June of 2015, arriving while Gypsy and her mother were away at doctor's appointments. After they had returned home and Dee Dee had gone to sleep, he went to the Blanchard house. Gypsy let him in and allegedly gave him duct tape, gloves, and a knife with the understanding that he would use it to murder Dee Dee. Gypsy hid in the bathroom and covered her ears so that she would not have to hear her mother screaming. Nicholas then stabbed Dee Dee 17 times in her back while she was asleep. Afterward, the two had sex in Gypsy's room and took $4,000 in cash that Dee Dee had been keeping in the house, mostly from Rod's child support checks. They fled to a motel outside Springfield where they stayed for a few days while planning their next move. During that time, they were seen on security cameras at several stores. Gypsy said at that point she believed the two had gotten away with their crime. They mailed the murder weapon back to Nicholas's home in Wisconsin to avoid being caught with it, then took a bus there. Several witnesses who saw the pair on their way to the Greyhound station noted that Gypsy wore a blonde wig and walked unassisted. After seeing concerning Facebook statuses posted from Dee Dee's account, the Blanchard's friends suspected that something was wrong. When phone calls went unanswered, several friends and neighbors went to the house. While the friends and neighbors knew that the two often left on medical trips unannounced, they saw Dee Dee's modified car still in the driveway, making an unannounced trip unlikely. Protective film on the windows made it hard to see inside in the low light. No one answered the door, so they gathered friends and called 911. When the police arrived, they had to wait for a search warrant to be issued before they could enter, but they allowed one of the neighbors present to climb through a window where he saw that inside of the house was largely undisturbed and that Gypsy's wheelchairs were all still present. When the warrant was issued, police entered the house and found Dee Dee's body. A GoFundMe account was set up to pay for her funeral expenses and possibly Gypsy's. All who knew the Blanchards feared the worst. Even if Gypsy had not been harmed, they believed that she would be helpless without her wheelchair, medications, and support equipment like the oxygen tanks and feeding tube. Her neighbor, who was among those gathered on the Blanchards' lawn, told police what she knew about Gypsy and her secret boyfriend. She showed them the printouts that she had saved, which included his name. Based on that information, police asked Facebook to trace the IP address from which the post to Dee Dee's account had been made. 
It turned out to be in Wisconsin. And the next day, police agencies in Waukesha County raided the Good John's Big Bend home. Nicholas and Gypsy surrendered and were taken into custody on charges of murder and felony armed criminal action. The news that Gypsy was safe was greeted with relief in Springfield, where she and Nicholas were soon extradited and held on $1 million bond. But in announcing the news, Greene County Sheriff Jim Arnett warned, things are not always what they appear. The media in Springfield soon reported the truth of the Blanchard's lies, that Gypsy had never been sick and had always been able to walk, but her mother had made her pretend, otherwise using physical abuse to control her. Arnott urged people not to donate money to the family until investigators learned the extent of the fraud. After the disclosure of how Dee Dee had treated Gypsy, sympathy for her as the victim of a violent murder rapidly shifted to her daughter as a long-term victim of child abuse. While the charge of first-degree murder can carry the death penalty under Missouri law or life without parole, County Prosecutor Dan Patterson announced he would not seek it for either Gypsy or Nicholas calling the case extraordinary and unusual. After her attorney obtained her medical records from Louisiana, he secured a plea bargain to second-degree murder for Gypsy. Gypsy was so undernourished up to this point, during the year she was in county jail, her lawyer told BuzzFeed that she'd gained 14 pounds, in contrast to most of his clients who typically lose weight in that situation. In July 2016, she accepted the plea bargain and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Nicholas still faced the more severe charge because prosecutors contended that he initiated the murder plot and he and Gypsy agreed that he was the one who killed Dee Dee. He was also more severely prosecuted due to different personal circumstances. Nicholas granted less sympathy and understanding due to a lack of involvement in the abuse. Gypsy's plea bargain agreement did not require her to testify against him. In January 2017, his trial was postponed when prosecutors requested a second psychiatric exam. His lawyers contend that he has an intelligence quotient of 82 and is on the autism spectrum suggesting that he has diminished capacity. He initially waived his right to a trial by jury, but changed his mind in June of that year. In December 2017, the judge sent Nicholas trial set Nicholas's trial for November 2018. In their opening statement, prosecutors alleged that Nicholas had deliberated for over a year before the crime while his lawyers pointed to his autism and said that Gypsy had formulated the crime and their love-struck client had just done as she had asked. The next day, prosecutors showed jurors text messages, sometimes sexually explicit, that Gypsy and Nicholas shared in the week before the murder, often using various personas as well as the knife he had used to commit the murder. In some of the texts, he asked her for details about Dee Dee's room and sleeping habits. 
These were, these were supplemented by video of his interview with police after his arrest, where he admitted killing her. Gypsy testified on the trial's third day. She said that while she had indeed suggested to Nicholas that he killed Dee Dee to end her mother's abuse, she had also considered getting pregnant by him in the hope that once she was carrying his child, Dee Dee would have to accept him. Along with the knife that she gave to Nicholas, she stole baby clothes from Walmart during a shopping trip so she could go ahead with either plan. However, she said, Nicholas never told her what he thought about the pregnancy plan. After four days, the case was sent to the jury. Jurors had the option of finding Nicholas guilty of one of the three murder charges, involuntary manslaughter, second degree or first degree murder, or not guilty of any of them. After approximately two hours of deliberation, they were turned with a verdict and Nicholas was found guilty of first-degree murder and armed criminal action. In February 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison for the murder conviction, the only possible option since prosecutors had declined to seek the death penalty. Nicholas asked Judge David Jones for leniency on the armed criminal action charge, which carries a minimum sentence of only three years, saying that he had fallen, quote, blindly in love with Gypsy. He received a sentence of 25 years on that charge, which is concurrent with the life sentence. Jones also denied a motion by Nicholas's lawyer for a new trial. His lawyer argued that the jury should not have been allowed to hear that Nicholas had considered raping Dee Dee on the night of the murder and also argued that the state's psychologist should not have been allowed to testify while Nicholas's psychologist should have, to, should have to establish that he had diminished capacity. In denying the motion, Jones conceded that an appeals court could find the latter point significant and consider it a reversible error. The Blanchard's neighbors were shocked to learn that Gypsy's illnesses were fabricated. Aaliyah Woodmancy, whose information about Gypsy's relationship with Nicholas led police to the couple the day after Dee Dee's body was discovered, said she cried out of disbelief upon hearing that Gypsy had ever been sick or disabled. Her mother recalled how everyone had accepted Dee Dee's claims without asking for any proof and wondered if the mother and daughter had been secretly laughing at their neighbors naivety. Kim Blanchard, no relation, who had called the deputy sheriffs to the house the night before, said, What have I been believing? How could I have been so stupid? Over 60 people attended a candlelight vigil for Dee Dee in downtown Springfield the night after the body was discovered. In a news conference, Arnott said of the case, Springfield is a giving community. We surround people with love and finances that we believe that needs it. However, a lot of times we are deceived, and I think this is now so true in this case at hand. Only one of the charities that had helped the Blanchards spoke after the revelations. A spokesman for Habitat for Humanity, 
whose volunteers had built the Blanchard's house, along with others on their street, said, We are just really deeply saddened by the whole situation. Dee Dee's family in Louisiana, who had confronted her about her treatment of Gypsy years before, did not mourn her. Her father, stepmother, and the nephew who first shared details of Gypsy's actual health when she first started using a wheelchair, all later said that Dee Dee deserved her fate and that Gypsy had been punished as much as she needed to be. None of them would pay for her funeral, and her father and stepmother flushed her ashes down the toilet. Rod Blanchard, Gypsy's father, is more forgiving. I think Dee Dee's problem was that she stated a web of lies, and there was no escaping after, he told BuzzFeed. It was like a tornado got started. He was happy the first time he saw a video of Gypsy walking under her own power. Gypsy served her sentence in Missouri's Chillicothe Correctional Center and did not talk to the media until after she had made her plea. When she did, she told BuzzFeed reporter Michelle Dean that she had been able to research Munchausen syndrome by proxy, now known as facetious disorder imposed on another, on prison computers, and her mother had every symptom. I think she would have been the perfect mom for someone that was actually sick, she said. She had believed Dee Dee's claim that she had cancer, even though she knew she could walk and eat solid food, leading her to assert to the regular head shavings. But she always hoped that the doctors would see through the ruse, and she was frustrated that none besides Flasterstein did. When Dean asked her what made her want to escape her situation, Gypsy recalled the 2011 incident at the science fiction convention, which made her wonder why she was not allowed to have friends like others her age. While she said that Nicholas took their idle discussions of murder into reality, she accepts that she committed a crime and has to live with the consequences. Nonetheless, she has said that she hopes to help other abuse victims. Victims of Munchausen by proxy abuse often avoid doctors and hospitals in their later lives because of lingering trust issues, according to expert Mark Feldman. According to her family, Dean and Aaron Lee Carr, a documentarian, Gypsy also exhibits at times the same sociopathic man manipulative behaviors as her mother who was, much of her life, her only role model. She is already psychologically really compromised, and she's going to need as much family underpinning and support as she can get, Feldman told Vulture after viewing Carr's documentary, Mommy Dead and Dearest, in which he appears. He also points out that post-traumatic stress disorder is likely to be an issue in her continuing development. I hope they find someone, wherever she chooses to settle, who is willing to provide supportive psychotherapy. On June 27, 2022, Gypsy married Ryan Scott Anderson. On September 29, 2023, the Missouri Department of Corrections confirmed that Gypsy had been granted parole and she was released on December 28, 2023, after serving 85% of her sentence per state law.
talk about a wild story. Murder is obviously never the answer. But I can definitely see wanting to go the route that she did. She, Her and her boyfriend at the time probably saw that as her only means of escape. Which I'm sure they could have come up with something better. But it's done and over with now. And like I said at the beginning, it's people have some mixed feelings about her being released from jail. Some people are really happy that she's out. Some people feel that she should serve longer sentence in jail. And I'm I'm kind of torn. She suffered so much at the hands of her mother because of this. I don't. I don't even know if I can. If I fully believe that that's a real disorder, it was probably the mother saw all of the money and the free gifts and the trips coming in, and she just wanted to keep that train going. And the only way she could do it was to keep letting people believe that her daughter was sick. What do you guys think? But that is going to do it for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed this story. If you did, could you please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts? A five-star rating really helps others to find the show. And don't forget to join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. I finally crossed over the 400 subscribers on YouTube. I was stuck at about 398, 399 for the longest time. I finally hit over that hump, but we're not quite to the YouTube exclusive bonus episode yet. Once I get to 500 subscribers, there will be a YouTube exclusive episode. But once again, thank you everyone for listening. And make sure to keep those doors and windows locked. And stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.